You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to another edition of Bible Prophecy Talk and Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris. Thank you all for downloading this show. Today I'm going to talk about the Mark of the Beast theory proposed by Walid Shobat, primarily. Uh, there is some question as to who originally came up with the theory, but we'll just go ahead and call it Walid Shobat's theory about the Mark of the Beast. This has become pretty popular. Uh, it's even been endorsed by people like Chuck Missler and others uh, that are pretty prominent Bible teachers. The idea uh, that Shabbat proposes is that in Revelation thirteen eight, when which is where we find the number six six six, the mark of the beast, Shabbat proposes that John, the writer of the book of Revelation, um, didn't intend for us to understand this mark as a number. Instead, he says that John was supernaturally shown Arabic words and Arabic symbols when he was uh, writing Revelation 13.8. And then John supposedly wrote this down just as he saw the Arabic letters and symbols um, that were given to him. But then later generations of scribes misunderstood those symbols as Greek letters, and they copied those Arabic symbols down as the letters, the Greek letters, Chi, uh, Xi, and Stigma. I'm going to get these pronunciations wrong on, on exactly what the the letters are, but it's important, I think, to remember that the Greek alphabet doesn't have a number system. What they would do is they have, for example, the, the letter Chi, which looks like an X, um, represents a number. So they had letters that represented numbers, and if a scribe was going to write a number, he would write the letters that added up to that number, and then he would draw a line above those Greek letters so a person reading it later would know, hey, this isn't a word. We're supposed to add up these Greek letters uh, since they all have numerical equivalents and then understand it as a number. So anyway, that's what he says is happening here. Now, I've seen this theory, you know, for a while now, and when you're presented with the pictures that Walid Shobat uses and the Arabic symbols that he says are being used, it can seem a little convincing. But what I've found is that when you really dig deep into what's being done here to come up with those, everything that, that he's showing you, I mean, it's... It's borderline um, snake oil salesman stuff that's going on when he presents it. And I really wish that this was a video podcast as opposed to an audio because there's so much that I want to show you about what he's doing. But nevertheless, I'll I'll try to explain it as best I can. And and ultimately, I will produce a video um, of this. I'm trying to... 
get some additional images and stuff before I get this all done before I do the video. But there is a lot that doesn't require us to to uh, think of images before we even get to this that part of it, because we can also argue against this idea with the context of the verse Revelation thirteen eighteen, which says, "Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding." calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man his number is 666 so the context here seems to be that of a person intending the reader to understand these this is a number because he says calculate first of all the number so those two words Calculate, which appears once, and number, which appears three times in this verse, are very uh, strong words in the Greek that contextually demand that the writer of Revelation knew he was about to write a number. He was not uh, about to say, here is a symbol, by the way. So let's talk a little about these Greek words. You should know that Shabbat um, says the following about this problem, about the contextual problem, we'll call it, with the words calculate a number. He says, Now consider the al alternate translation that the Allah theory could produce. The Greek word, and again, I'm going to brutalize these Greek words, physio, translated above as count or calculate, can also quite naturally mean reckon or to decide. Likewise, the Greek word arithmos, translated above as number, can also mean an indefinite number or multitude. Multitude in the case of more than one, such as the, a multitude of people. With this in mind, consider the following translation, as it makes very good sense. And here is Shobat's translation of Revelation 13, 18. Quote, Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding reckon, or decide, discern, the multitude of the beast, for it is the multitude of a man. That is, he has in brackets, Muhammad and or the Mahdi Antichrist. And his multitude are identified through the following in the name of Allah and the two swords or jihad. And we're going to come back to that, what he means by the two swords here in a minute. Okay, so we can kind of see what he's doing there. He's taking the word any instance of the word number, and he's uh, substituting the word multitude. And he wants us to mean, understand this word multitude as a group of people, something that we're going to see is problematic later. Um, but, so it would read something like this. Here is wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate or decide about the group of people of the beast, for it is the group of people of a man. His group of people is... 666, or these Arabic symbols in his view. So what we need to do is take this piece by piece to see if his translation works. And the way we're going to do that is just going one by one. So he says this word count uh, or calculate can, quote, just as easily be translated as to reckon or decide. That is, it doesn't have to have anything to do with a number. Count calculate certainly does. But he says, no, it can just generally be the word reckon or to decide. Now, the Greek word is physio, and that word is actually extremely rare 
in the New Testament. In fact, it's only used one other time in the New Testament, and that is in Luke 14, 28, which says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. So notice here, it's it's not in a general sense in the other verses, which is talking about counting the cost or whatever. This is in a sense of, of, of a picture of a man counting his money to see if he has enough money to finish his building project of building this tower. So that's the only other time that this word is used in the New Testament. And there it certainly has the sense of counting. And that's also what we see when we look at a definition of this, which we'll get to in a minute. But what what, uh, uh, Shobat says is that it can be used very generally. He gives the example of the word uh, uh, discern or to reckon. So he's saying it can be used in that sense, too. That is to say, not having anything to do with numbers. But there is a Greek word, dokimazo, which is um, often translated as discern or decide or something like that in the Bible. That is to say that there is a much better general word, dokimazo, which uh, if John didn't want to have any kind of connotation to counting or calculating, that he could have used if he just wanted to generally say, you know, think about this. Um, But when you look at, and I would also say that it's impossible from our complete understanding of, of Greek uh, anything that we know about the Greek language and its usage in the ancient times or whatever, that the word that John does use, which is here translated as count, calculate, that is physio, physio, um, can mean what he says it means. So if we look this up in uh, a standard lexicon, and I've looked up this up in as many lexicons as I have available to me, but for example, Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this as only one definition. You know, a lot of times they have multiple definitions. It can mean this, it can mean that. But here, and in every other instance we're going to see, it's it's just one definition. That is, to, and it defines it as to count with pebbles, to compute, calculate, or reckon. Okay, so you, you might notice that word reckon is here, and that's one that Shobat says it can mean. It can mean reckon. And here we look at, and I'm sure this is what he did, he looked at, you know, the, the lexicon, and he saw the word reckon, and so he said, hey, it can mean reckon. Well, it can, but notice the context of this lexicon. It's saying it can mean to compute, calculate, or reckon. There, it's it's understanding that you see the word reckon there in the rest of the context of the definition of this verse. It is reckon in the sense that reckon relates to calculate or compute. That is the usage of reckon to have to do with counting. Not in the uh, colloquial, colloquial, I never can say that word, sense that we use reckon here in the South. You know, in that sense, reckon can be just to, you know, think about something where uh, here in this definition, it's talking about reckon and its usage of reckon has to do with counting or calculating or computing. Um, It also gives uh, a few instances of this being used in ancient Greek, and there it had the connotation of casting one's vote by uh, a pebble. That is to say, kind of, and there even, in that sense, this word pephesio has a sense of counting in that it's, uh, you know, counting your votes by your cast pebble kind of thing. In no instance, and I've looked at, again, these Greek lexicons from, you know, high and low, and I can't find a single one that would allow this Greek word, pephesio, 
to be used in the general way that Shobat tells us it can, quote, just as easily be translated as. The simple fact is that, no, it cannot be used in the, stripped out of its counting or calculating context. And just the other, only other usage of this in the New Testament, which also is referring to a person counting his money, it should be obvious. So I can't, I can't imagine a single Greek scholar going against every lexicon out there and every usage in, in ancient Greek and saying, oh no, we can use this word in a general way. So the first one, Bephesio, no, it can't be used that way. Okay, let's look at the second thing that he says, the Greek word number. Here, he wants to use number as a group of people, uh, a multitude. Now, it's used three times in Revelation 13, 18, so it's something that really has to be dealt with. Here, what he does is, again, he, he looks at a lexicon and finds this definition. And this is pretty standard in most of the, most of the lexicons for the uh, Greek word arithmos. And by the way, the, the Greek word arithmos is where we get our English word arithmetic. So right there, it's not looking good for Shabbat. Uh, if arithmetic, arithmos, means number. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's arithmetic certainly is has to do with numbers, and arithmos does too. But he says it's multitude, that is, a group of people. So, if you look at a definition of this in a lexicon, it'll say the first definition is a fixed and definite number. That's it. if I said the uh, number of years I'm going to, uh, or the number 13, or the number of years I'm going to uh, work at that farm is 7. I'm talking about a definite number. But the second definition is an indefinite number or multitude. Now, this is where he gets this. He sees that word multitude and just takes that multitude out and uses that word multitude in the way that word is used in other places in the New Testament, which isn't correct, which we'll see very clearly in a minute. But let me explain what the second definition here of arithmos is referring to when it says an indefinite number or multitude. If I was going to use it that way in English, I would say something like the number of cats uh, over there, or there's a, there's a number of cats over there. There I'm talking about an indefinite number or a multitude, in this case of cats. There is a number of cats over there. Or I could use it like the number of homicides in this city has risen alarmingly. Here, I don't have to tell you the specific number. I'm just talking about an indefinite number of homicides. The number of homicides in this city has risen alarmingly. That's the second definition of arithmos. It's still referring to a number, uh, arithmos. It's still making reference to a number, but but here it's indefinite, and it's a, a multitude of homicides in this case. So, but what Shabbat is wanting to use the word multitude here as a group of people, which the Bible uses the word multitude several times, in fact, 175 times, in the Bible is the word multitude in most Greek translations. But there a different Greek word is used. That is aklos. And it is to refer to a crowd of people. Um, and and it, it only means a crowd of people. It's not a crowd of anything else. It's not a crowd of cats or a crowd of homicides. It is a group of people. That's what aklos means. That's what multitude means. So an example of its usage would be in Matthew 9, 8. Now, when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God. Okay, 
So there we, we recognize that kind of usage of multitude. But if you tried to, for example, substitute arithmos with aklos, and and we'll get, say it in English so you can kind of see the, the problem here, then it won't work. So let's use that same verse, Matthew 9, 8, and substitute arithmos with aklos and just say it in English. Now, when the number saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Here the question is, the number of what? Because it didn't complete the idea. You can't use arithmos like that to refer to a group of people because it doesn't mean that. Now, when the number saw it, your question is, the number of what saw it? So he is, when he says it can just as easily be translated as that, and he looks at a Greek lexicon which says arithmos can mean an indefinite number or multitude, he is he's wanting to use the actual Greek word oklos for multitude, when in fact that just doesn't work. So to say this very strongly, this uh, verse, Revelation 17, 18, which is so damning to his theory, I mean, it's talking about calculating the number of the beast, uh, his number is, you know, all this stuff, calculating the number of something, he needs to radically change this verse in order for his interpretation to uh, to make sense. He needs this not to be about numbers. And his translation is simply not possible based on everything that we know about the Greek language. It's just not a possible translation. Um, and if he wants somebody to believe that it is the correct translation or even a possible translation, then he needs to provide some kind of argumentation about why we should overturn what we know about the Greek language. Because because him simply saying, oh, this can quite simply be used this way and not giving any kind of argumentation uh, when and it being so wrong when we actually look it up, then there's a problem. Okay, so Shabbat tries to give some credibility to this, uh, quite frankly, outlandish uh, translation of Revelation 13, 18. And he does so by claiming that, quote, at least one translation of the Bible has translated this verse in a similar way that he has. And he refers his readers to the Restoration Scriptures True Name Edition. So I decided to look this up and just kind of see where this trail led. And I was very uh, interested in where this particular trail led. And this might be a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's just so interesting I thought I would uh, share it with you. So I looked this up, this Restoration Scriptures True Name Edition, and this was self-published by a guy named Moshe Konachowski, and he runs a, uh, a ministry called uh, Your Arms to Israel Global, or something like that. And he's a messianic uh, pastor kind of guy. So this is, you know, unambiguously a translation written by one guy, you know, not a bunch of scholars considering things or whatnot. And, you know, even then, okay, sure, I'm sure one person can do this kind of thing. No big deal. But when we look a little closer at this, I started to read just to see what, uh, you know, Konachowski's views on the end times were and so on and so forth. He's got a lot of material on his website and PDF forms. And I started to see, like, everything that Shobat was saying was said somewhere on his website, but way before Shubat ever wrote it. So we're talking about in the 2000s, Konachowski was posting stuff that wasn't just a little bit like uh, Shubat's material. It was Shubat's material, even down to 
I mean, not just the the beast in the fourth empire in Daniel two being the Ottoman Empire and Mystery Babylon being, being Saudi Arabia, but right down to the oil. Oil is what's in the harlot's cup in in seventeen Revelation seventeen. Very very specific stuff. So much so that I thought, well, this is obviously plagiarism on Shobat's part because Konachowski was writing this stuff way before Shobat did. So that got me interested. So I started looking a little bit more on this uh, guy Moshi Chanakowski, and I found that there is a connection between and a very interesting connection between Shobat and Konachowski and a guy named Simon Altoff. Okay. So Simon Altoff was a member of Konachowski's ministry team. He was a a rabbi right along with Rabbi Konachowski in, in this uh, um, ministry that they had. And Walid Shobat has this connection to both of them. He apparently knows both of them, but particularly Simon Altoff, because um, in the early days of Shobat's ministry, before Shobat became like a uh, a name, he and Altoff were were writing together. In fact, they wrote a book called "This Is Eden, This Is Our End," which is apparently now out of print. And they co-wrote the book, but Shobat. Um, for whatever reason, didn't want that book published or whatever. And so Altoff later published This Is Our Eden, This Is Our End, just under his name. Um, And I think that caused a falling out or something like that. I'm not exactly sure the details of why he didn't want it published. But two years before Shobat wrote his book, God's War on Terror, where which is where we get this, uh, you know, uh, Mark of the Beast stuff and a lot of Shobat's theories came out with God's War on Terror. Two years before that, Altaf wrote a book called Islam, Peace, or Beast about the Islamic Antichrist doctrine and includes the exact material on virtually every topic that Shobat covers, including the Mark of the Beast material, um, you know, word for word. So two years before Shobat came out with this, Altaf was was uh, explaining this same Mark of the Beast theory. Now, Altoff accuses Shobat of plagiarizing his work in an article on his website, and the two are no longer friends. Um, but in any case, whether I don't think it really matters if Shobat stole the material from Altoff or whatever. It's interesting because Shobat says in his, you know, every time he talks about the Mark of the Beast, we're going to get into this a little bit more later. He says, you know, he saw this manuscript in Greenville, North uh, South Carolina that, uh, you know, and he was surprised because he could read it because it was Arabic. Well, Altoff says the same thing. So apparently the story is now that they both sort of independently had this, uh, um, you know, amazing experience where they were reading that particular manuscript and came to the conclusion that they could read it because it was uh, Arabic. But nevertheless, here's the connection part of this. Altaf, his book, you know, that I, uh, Islam, Peace or Beast, um, was published by Konachowski, by uh, Your Arms to Israel Publishing. Um, and so here's the funny part, too. Shabbat has since accused Altoff and Konachowski of being, quote, cult leaders that practice polygamy and bad doctrine and, and the rest of it. Uh, it should be noted that both Altoff and Konachowski do not deny that they practice, quote, plural marriages and seem to be quite proud of it. In fact, a good portion of their ministry is is the promotion of of. Uh, uh, polygamy, and they both, or at least kind of, I don't know about Altaf, he probably does, and considering how 
passionate he is about the subject, but Konachowski certainly does have two wives. Now, um, to sum up this point then, Waleed Shobat, in his attempt to justify his ridiculous, I don't mind saying, translation of Revelation 13.18, points us to a self-published Bible, which he admits was written by a, quote, cult leader, that he personally knows, he knows these guys, even from, I mean, you could read the letters in this article that he's, I mean, they know each other, in addition to the fact that they co-wrote books and the rest of it, we know that they know each other. So it's written by a, a cult leader who he knows, and Shobat himself clearly influenced the translation of thirteen, uh, Revelation 13, 18 in Konachowski's Bible, either directly... That is, you know, he explained his theory to Konachowski and Konachowski, who, you know, clearly in other parts of his Bible doesn't have problems changing things to fit his preconceived notions. But but if you believe Simon Althoff, then Althoff is the one who actually influenced Konachowski with the exact same arguments about the Mark of the Beast that Shobat would later steal from Althoff. But either way, it's a mess. And Shobat does not gain an ounce of credibility for his decidedly awful translation of Revelation 13.18 by citing Konachowski's Restoration Scripture's True Name Edition. Okay, so we talked a little about the context of Revelation 13.18, Calculate the Number of the Beast. That is just a very difficult thing to get around for Shabbat in this theory, but we saw his attempts to do so, and they fall short. The next part of this is um, a little bit more difficult to do, in audio, but I promise you I'm going to do a very uh, good video on this at some point, but I just need to get a lot more images. I'm going to have to do um, a little bit of, of traveling and, and whatnot to get some clear images of this to, to make my points, but nevertheless I can explain a little bit of why, uh, what's going on here. So, so there are three letters that was written, that were written down that, as we said, our Greek letters are related to numbers. Uh, chi is an X, um, and then Xi, which is a little bit harder to explain, but it looks like uh, like a W uh, on its side. Basically, it looks like an E. And then uh, the Greek uh, letter stigma, which kind of looks like an S with a little bit longer um, uh, swoop on the top then it, it protrudes a little bit more. It's not that important that you, you get this. but So we understand that Shobat's theory is that John saw Arabic letters that he wrote down exactly as he saw them, not understanding what they meant. Now, Shobat says that what, those, what John saw was the words in the name of Allah, which is uh, part of what's called the... Bismala, which is or Bismila, which is a uh, a phrase. It's a it, the the phrase is much longer, but Bismala, the in the name of Allah, is used a lot of times in in sayings, and it's used a lot of times by Muslims. So he says he he saw Bismala, which which takes care of, and I'm going to suggest it has absolute looks absolutely nothing like it, but that would only take care of the first. Two, uh, two letters, keeping in mind that Arabic is, is reads right to left. So stigma 
and uh, uh, Xi. And again, I, I know I'm somebody's going to write me and say you're brutalizing that, but I'll eventually I'll get that translation right when I do the audiobook, I'm sure. Um, so that only takes care of two letters. There's actually one other letter, the 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 uh, Chi, the X. And Chi is not represented in the Arabic writing in the name of Allah. The, the, there's no good reason, there's no good Arabic equivalent of the X. It's just the first two letters, if you even believe that they look alike, which we're going to argue that they don't. So in, instead of just saying, well, X also means something in Arabic, he says, oh, and there was also a picture of cross swords. So now we're, what, we're, what he wants you to believe is that, that not only did God show John some Arabic writing, but he also threw in a picture too, some cross swords. And Shabbat justifies this by saying, you know, the cross swords, that's like a universal symbol for Islam. I mean, if you listen to Shabbat, it's just like, that's just as, just, just as easy as saying Islam. But in no way is the cross swords a universal symbol of Islam. Um, and it's, when you look at the idea here is, of course, that this in the name of Allah and cross swords is going to be on some, some uh, headbands and badges and, and flags of the people of the beast. But if you consider this, that, um, first of all, when you look at flags and stuff like that, and of course they show like a Hamas, uh, banner or whatever the symbol for Hamas used to have cross swords on it. But I've looked at Islamic flags, jihad flags, ISIS flags, 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 banners, 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 headbands, headbands, headbands. And almost none of them have cross swords on it. Some of them have one sword. Most of them have no swords and a very, very small minority have cross swords. And even those ones that have cross swords don't have the Bismala on it. I mean, generally speaking, we're talking about 0.01% uh, that, I, that I can find on the internet that have anything to, that have the cross swords and the Bismala on it. And most of those are from sites of like somebody, uh, you know, a Christian site who believes this has found some, you know, store online selling that, that there's like one primary picture of saying, okay, everybody, everybody in Islam wears this headband when in fact, you know, I can find nobody that, that wears that exact same thing anywhere. But that's really not important once we get into the details of this, but to to summarize that point he has only covering two letters if you believe what he's selling here and the third letter is just cross swords now here's the crux of this situation this is the main problem with what he's doing he always when talking about this has to refer to a particular facsimile of the codex vaticanus in bob jones university in greenville south carolina this is where he has the, his had his major revelation that he said, "Wow, look, this is this is Arabic, and I can read this." But there are the problem with that in, in his book. He very dishonestly, completely, you know, always refers to this Codex Vaticanus, uh, Bob Jones University, as a you know a, a facsimile of 350 A.D. Because remember, he needs this to be the way that John wrote it. You know, all the other scholars. They might have got it wrong, but the earliest copies of this, if you're going to believe his opinion, has to look like what he's showing on these pictures. Because if you look up 666 and Walid Shobat, you're going to see the picture of that Codex Vaticanus at Bob Jones University. 
Now, here's the big problem. He keeps telling everybody this is 350 AD in an effort to say, look how early this is. But, and, and while it's true that Codex Vaticanus in the main uh, is a document from around 350 AD, Codex Vaticanus actually ends around Hebrews 9 or something like that. There isn't, I mean, there's no book of Revelation in that in that 350 AD document. So what the Codex Vaticanus, uh, when they tried to make it an entire book, they supplemented uh, the rest of the book, the missing portions, with a document, uh, the book of Revelation, for example, is a document from, uh, written in the 15th century. Okay, the 15th century is when what we're looking at when he says, look at how early this is in 350 AD. What you're actually looking at is something that was written uh, a thousand plus years after when he says it was. And that is an extremely important point. Because when you look at how 666 was written in the actual early text, there's a few uh, papyrus, for example, P. Uh, 115 p47 that have and this is consistent with every bit of papyrus writing early greek writing um, was written in a completely different way so for example um, stigma was basically a a c it looks when you look at this because the writing in the like p47 or p uh, uh, for example or P115, and these are the oldest copies that we actually have. Like P47 is 250. I think P115 uh, is somewhere around there. Very early. They're the earliest copies of Revelation that we have. I'm telling you, this looks nothing like his picture. And it shouldn't look anything like his picture because the type of Greek writing in that 15th century document that he keeps saying is 350 in that in that version of Codex Vaticanus is a, is a different type of Greek writing called minuscule Greek. It's very, very stylized, uh, unical, uh, kind of um, very curvy stuff going on there. It's, it's a very unique type of Greek writing that didn't even, wasn't even invented until around the ninth century. So, so when you look at every copy of not just the book of Revelation, but every copy of the New Testament in Greek that we have, Shobat's theory simply could not work because as we're going to see, he manipulates the rest of these to death. But, um, but, but even if we took it just as he presents it, it couldn't be that way because the early form of Greek writing uh, looked nothing like that. But his argument rests, he, and for other reasons that we're going to hear about, he absolutely requires everyone to believe that this co- facsimile of Codex Vaticanus at Bob Jones is the pinnacle, the earliest way that John would have written it. Now, he likes this version uh of this particular copy of Codex Vaticanus for a lot of reasons. The particular Greek scribe that wrote this uh, did a few things that really helped his theory. So, for example, the the middle letter, uh, again, xi, xi, uh, is, in in his picture, is a very, you know, it's like a, it's like a cursive E, cursive capital E, with a line on top of it. So, so that, and this is what he shows in a picture, like a cursive E with a line on top of it. Now that actually does look like the word Allah. I'll, I'll admit the way that he presents it, it looks just like the word Allah. 
But the problem is a number of things. First of all, in the early form of Greek, it didn't look like that. It's a very jagged, uh, the very earliest form of that, that letter is just three lines. Um, and then about in John's day, it, up until the 8th century, that that letter uh, Xi was written in a very, looks like a Z, or kind of looks like an E, but it, but it's very jagged. And if you look at the early, you know, P47, P115, that's what you're going to see. Actually, P15 doesn't contain that for another reason. But anyway, the point is, uh, it doesn't look anything like it. Now, he likes very much the, the, the Bob Jones University facsimile because the scribe only put put this line because over the letter, and I, this is going to be the worst podcast in the world. Nobody's going to hear what I'm saying until I show him this, but only puts the line over that particular letter. Now, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, if a Greek writer wanted to make you know that the letters in uh, a particular sentence or what or whatever were to be understood as a number, he would put a line over all the letters in that series in order to make you understand that all these letters are a part of this number. Now, the, in the 15th, this 15th century scribe, you can see he, he has a lot of shorthand stuff going on here. Um, and he's got a little swoop on there or whatever, and he only basically puts it over the middle letter and just a little bit over the stigma as well. So that gives Walid Shobat the opportunity to say, look at the, the similarity, because it looks nothing like Allah uh, if you take that line away. But when you look at not just this, but every other instance of this, P47, P15, the line on top is stretching over all three letters the way it should be. But again, this is one of the many reasons why he requires people to only look at the 15th century document where this particular scribe had some shorthand stuff going on that uh, that wasn't as thorough. Now, um, again, on this word Allah, this is kind of funny, too, because if you look at this in the way that he presents it, you just have to say, well, like I just said, it looks like Allah, you know, if you if you the way that he presents it. But not only, again, would that Greek letter not look anything like that in John's day, uh, and not only would that line not just be over that letter, it would be over all three, as it is in every other instance of this in the early copies. But his Arabic word for Allah is not just flipped on its side, okay? Allah, basically, in this, doesn't look like Allah if you wrote Allah. If any other Muslim wrote the word Allah, you'd say, well, no, it doesn't look like that at all. What he has to do to make that look like Allah is not just flip it on its side, but then reverse it, do a mirror image of it. Okay, so, and, and Walid Shabbat justifies this by saying, well, it's okay sometimes to write Allah on its side, you know, if it's like on a circular object where it's kind of curving, like on a coin or something like that, then Allah can sometimes be shown on its side, which is... I suppose true, but we're not talking about a circular object here. We're talking about, um, you know, John was apparently shown this, but but he was shown the word Allah on its side and then reversed. And even on a coin, it's not a mirror image. It's just as wrong to write an Arabic word on its side and a mirror image as it would be for you to write an English word on its side and a mirror image. It's just there's obvious manipulation going on there. I mean, I think he's got a ton of manipulations. He's getting cross swords in there and he's turning this on its side. He's 
only having to limit this to one particular scribe in the 15th century because it doesn't work with anything else. Um, I'm trying to give the, the basics here, but a few other things. Um, okay, so it, it, the word in the Arabic uh, for in the name of, which is the one to the furthest right, uh, in most copies that you'll see of this, it actually doesn't show up because the, the people photoshopping it actually photoshopped out the dot. There's a little dot in the word in the name of in Arabic that must be there. It's an actual letter that is required in order for that to mean in the name of. And in his book, he's, he shows the Greek letter stigma, and it also has a dot, which, you know, you look at that and you say, wow, that looks, it's also got a dot, and it kind of sort of sort of looks like that, I suppose. But it has that dot there, too, in the Greek. And what's interesting about that is that dot in the Greek is actually a period. Um, because um, the, the, in Revelation 13, 18 is the last word in the chapter. So there's a period. It ends on the word 666, period. And even that period wasn't added. The punctuation in those documents wasn't added until much, much later. Like another scribe came in much later and added the punctuation. So not only is that a 15th century copy that never even included the punctuation in the first place, it was added, uh, you know, obviously much later. Uh, there's lots of other problems like this. For example, uh, one of the other reasons he has to choose this particular 15th century document is to justify his calling the uh, Kai, the X, cross swords. Because the scribe in the 15th century, he had a particular style of writing the letter Kai, which he does in every other instance, too, where he has the little swoops on the two bottom legs of the X, which gives Shabbat the opportunity to say, look, there's sword handles, you know, because they're on the bottom of each of those. But if you look at the letter Kai in not only all the early documents of uh, of this instance, but also, you know, in the Greek language in general, the little swoops are on the same line, meaning that if this was a picture of swords, it would be a sword one sword with two handles and then another sword with no handles, just two blades. Uh, so that, again, that's another reason that he has to focus in on this one particular uh, uh, 15th century document. I suppose it would be helpful to point out here that these facsimiles of the Codex Vaticanus, so these aren't the actual copies of it, though all copies and facsimiles of the Codex Vaticanus do not include the Book of Revelation. They are all... Uh, they all use something else for the book of Revelation. In this particular copy, it's the 15th century scribes version of Revelation. So there are a number of different facsimiles. There's actually four different facsimiles over the, all over the world of this particular uh, of Codex Vaticanus. And they don't all agree with one another in terms of how the scribes write this. So if you look online there isn't actually any facsimiles of this particular Bob Jones one, except for, you know, pictures that people have taken of it, uh, such as uh, Walid Chobat or whoever took the original picture. Um, but you'll find a different, of the one of the other four facsimiles, and they don't agree, you know, he can't use them at, certainly as well as he can use this particular one that he likes so much. So a part of this research will include me going to uh, Greenville, South Carolina, which really isn't that far of a drive for me. I've already made a, a tentative appointment with the guy in charge there to uh, take some pictures of, of some 
different aspects of the this document under supervision to help to prove my case for example to show that this particular scribe wrote all numbers like this you know uh, that he was uh, that he wrote all instances of the letter chi like this this isn't anything special for this particular scribe there's already evidence of that but i'd like to get some photographic proof of it so um i've got a lot to do there and i think that the that brings up sort of a, a big point here what you have to believe if you want to believe Shobat's theory here is that okay so um john was shown the supernaturally some arabic uh letters as well as a, a, the symbol of cross swords and he wrote it down exactly like that in the arabic way or whatever despite the fact that you know one of the words was uh, on its side and and reversed uh, and the later scribes saw that and said, you know, I don't know what to make of that. Maybe John was just, you know, didn't know what he was doing, having a bad day. Let's make that Greek symbols instead. The point I, I would make here is that even those scribes wouldn't be able to interpret Arabic symbols as Greek letters because it would still be another 900 years before Greek letters looked anything like Arabic symbols. I don't think that they do anyway, but it would it would be even another 900 years before that form of Greek writing was invented. So what you'd also have to believe is that the scribes who made the mistake of not copying John's Arabic symbols correctly were supernaturally shown how Greek would look 900 years in the future. So this is just a very... Uh, problematic theory on all fronts. So yeah, we've looked at the context of it, the Greeks, the Greek words. I mean, it's definitely talking about calculating and talking about numbers. And we've looked at, uh, to the extent that we can in audio, some of the problems with the with what he's presenting as uh, 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 these Arabic symbols looking like Greek letters. So I think with that, we'll probably end this particular podcast. Uh, I want to encourage you all to, again, be patient with me. I am continuing to do a lot of research and trying to figure this all out. Um, I've been really, really excited with the way that the research is going. I've probably got somewhere around 40,000 words done on it now, but uh, it's taking me a little longer because I'm just finding out so many different things about this that I want to, to share. Also want to remind any newcomers or anybody that hasn't done it yet to sign up for the email list on the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com. That's BibleProphecyTalk.com. Right there in the, uh, the, the very first part of the page on the right-hand corner, there is a way to sign up for the email list. I don't send them out very much, but if I have something really important to say, I will. So thank you all again, and uh, thank you for, especially for being patient with me, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like a free copy of the Christianity 101 DVD, which contains 8 gigabytes of audio, video, and text of various discipleship materials on a data DVD, please go to any one of my websites and look for the Christianity 101 button. It's totally free, and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world. If you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation, which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, 
and the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed.